0: This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is Remembering the Past and the Things of God. In the first half, Ardith G. Cap shares her address, Lest We Forget to Believe. Then in the second half, Cecilia M. Peak speaks on Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee.
1: I'm grateful that Heber and I can be here together. That's one of the wonderful things about a mission. I believe it was Elder Victor L. Brown's wife who observed when he was traveling so much with the Church that in the Church is the only place where you can be married for time and all eternity and separated for life. That's not the case in the mission field. A few years ago, during a rather extensive trip to the British Isles, I had the opportunity to speak to many young women in many different meeting houses. Upon my return, I received a letter in the mail from a young woman which began, Do you remember me? I was the one in the green jumper on the second row. On another occasion, following a large gathering of young women at a girls' camp in the Northwest, I again received a letter. This young woman had no question that I would remember her, but her letter was one of request. She wrote, After the meeting we had, I stood in line. You hugged me and said something wonderful to me, but I can't remember what it was. Would you please write and tell me (laughs) so I can put it in my journal and read it when I feel bad? I, of course, didn't remember exactly what I told her, but I answered her letter with a message that I usually tried to whisper in each young woman's ear, along with giving the hug. Remember, you are a daughter of a Heavenly Father who loves you. Remember always to stand as a witness of God at all times and in all things and in all places. Many of you will recognize that as part of the young women theme. That would be about all. It was time to say. Occasionally one of these young women would go to the end of the line and come through a second time for a hug and a reminder. Is there any one of us who's not had a need bone marrow deep to be remembered? In our recent General Conference, in his closing address, President Gordon B. Hinckley expressed his feelings about this when he said, I wish I had some way to thank you individually. I hope in the growth of the Church we never forget it is the individual that counts. In a recent surprise trip to the Magna State Conference, he told people, I did not come here to preach. I came to tell you I love you. Do you recall the gentle request of one of the thieves who hung on the cross next to Jesus? Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus' reassuring answer, Verily, I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. He remembers us. He knows us. He knows our names, our thoughts, our hopes, and our fears. One of our early prophets wrote, Now this is the truth. We humble people who feel ourselves sometimes so worthless, so good for nothing, we are not so worthless as we think. There is not one of us but what God's love has been expended upon. There is not one of us that he has not cared for and caressed. There may be days, like the young woman, when we may want to ask, Do you remember me? You hugged me and said something wonderful to me, but I forgot. Can you write and tell me so I can read it when I feel bad? We might add, because I want to be happy. Fortunately, we have the scriptures, which I have referred to as my letters from home. The great plan of happiness, of which Alma speaks of, calls for a forgetting. Through God's mercy and love for us, He has provided a road map to eternal salvation which will eventually bring lasting happiness. And this plan requires that we be tried and tested along the way. There is so much to be learned from struggle, pain, sorrow, disappointment—however, the plan assures eternal happiness—a happiness far greater than the common definition that most people think of today. Is our Father in Heaven always happy, according to our definition? Is Christ always happy? The scriptures are replete with accounts of their sorrow and pain over the actions of disobedient children. And what were the feelings of God the Father? when it became necessary to withdraw the support of his immediate presence as his only begotten Son was dying on the cross. Not happiness, surely. So what are we to understand about the nature of happiness? Because of the grand plan of salvation which necessitates this mortal period of testing, of freedom to choose, of growth toward eternal goals, if we choose to commit ourselves in that direction, Our Father in heaven has provided a way for our return. It is that assurance that brings us peace and happiness and the joy of the journey. Verily, thus saith the Lord, It shall come to pass that every soul who forsaketh his sins and cometh unto me and calleth on my name and obeyeth my voice and keepeth my commandments shall see my face and know that I am. Our return to our Father's eternal realms is his ultimate objective, his work and his glory. It was and is also the essential mission of his Son. It was why Jesus Christ, who created our world and our whole universe, took a mortal body, endured temptation, ridicule, and death to become our Savior, our Redeemer, and our Advocate with the Father. Lest we forget, the grand plan is designed for our happiness, but this plan required a period of forgetting because an essential part of the plan is the exercise of faith—faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the most reassuring thoughts that has comforted me throughout my years has been, I chose to come here. I sustained Christ's plan rather than Satan's in the preexistence. We all knew before we were born that we were coming to earth and would experience joy and sorrow. We eagerly accepted the plan. My father made this point very clear to me some years ago. I was wrestling with what to me seemed major issues in my life with prayers not yet answered or so I thought. Into my mind I heard him speak, although he had been gone for several years. My dear, don't trouble yourself about the little things and the big things you already agreed to before you came. We chose this life with the struggles. We chose to accept the forgetting and see whether we would walk by faith. It is a wonderful reassurance in our day to have the scriptures. They give us evidence of many who, with no recollection of their premortal life, exercised their faith, kept the commandments, and were reassured of their salvation. Whatever pains or sorrows or dislocations we may endure, the ultimate definition of happiness for us must be knowing that we have been faithful and that our salvation is assured. The forgetting may be gradual, but that we learn to walk by faith is essential. Consider the tender account told of little four-year-old Sachi. Sooner after her brother was born, little Sachi began to ask her parents to leave her alone with the new baby. They decided to allow it. Elated, she went into the baby's room and shut the door. But it opened a crack, enough for her curious parents to peek in and listen. They saw little Satchie walk quietly up to her baby brother, put her face close to his and say quietly, Baby, tell me what God feels like. I'm starting to forget. Yes, there is a forgetting, but thankfully there is also a remembering crucial to our inner peace and well-being. To remember is to keep in mind, retain the thought, while remembrance is the ability to recall, to retrieve, to bring back. This matter of retaining or retrieving is strengthened with keepsakes, mementos, tokens, symbols, CTR rings, journals, and so on. Young women have colors as reminders of young women values. Whenever the color purple is seen, it is to bring to mind the value integrity which states, I will make my actions consistent with my knowledge of right and wrong. Symbols of this kind stimulate our memories which then affect our conduct, our attitude, and our behavior. The journal-keeping of Nephi, of Alma, and especially the tremendous efforts of Mormon were motivated by their wish to keep future generations in remembrance. How often we read of numerous times when God delivered a group of people when they were faithful, when they remembered. But on a very personal level. I like to remember David's response to Saul who told him that he was not able to fight Goliath because he was but a youth, and so he was. However, David had had some memorable experiences in his life to draw from. With confidence, David responded, The Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion, and out of the paw of the bear, He will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. How important was it to David and all of Israel that he remembered how the Lord had blessed him in the past. How important is it for each of us to remember those times when, without the Lord's help, we could never have accomplished the mission, or the calling, the task, or the challenge given to us. I testify of this. When we can draw from the past, we don't have to retest every decision or experience or burn our hand on the hot stove yet again we can turn to our storehouse of memory and over and over again recall, replay, relive precious, important, and sacred moments. These will sustain, comfort, and protect us against uncertainty or faltering faith. I saw a cartoon recently of a huge slingshot. The caption read, As you face your Goliaths in life, remember, help is just a stone's throw away. When Oliver Cowdery began his labors as a scribe in the translation of the Book of Mormon, the Lord spoke to Oliver through Joseph Smith as follows, Behold, thou art Oliver, and I have spoken unto thee because of thy desires. Therefore treasure these words in thy heart. Be faithful and diligent in keeping the commandments of God, and I will encircle thee in the arms of my love. And then he added, Verily, verily, I say unto you, if you desire a further witness, cast your mind upon the night that you cried unto me in your heart, that you might know concerning the truth of these things. Did I not speak peace to your mind concerning the matter? What greater witness can you have than from God? It is as if the Lord were saying, Remember, remember, Oliver, what I told you before. Treasure those memories. Draw strength from them. And never, ever forget, he could say to each of us. Remember those times that I spoke peace to your mind. Draw strength and never forget. When I speak of remembering our Father in heaven, it is quite a different thing than remembering the face, name, and the influence of, say, an important teacher in our life from the past. When we left our Father's presence and were born, a veil was drawn over our eyes. This veil might be similar to what we experience with the wind. We do not see it, but we can if we observe carefully see the trees sway, the waves build up, and feel its force against us as we walk. We may also feel or see the influence of our Father in Heaven, but we are not allowed, for very sound, eternal reasons, to remember our Heavenly Father in the same way I remember my fourth grade teacher, Miss Red. The text of Eliza R. Snow's poem is a glorious statement of our not coming here with full remembrance from the pre-existence. For a wise and glorious purpose, Thou hast placed me here on earth and withheld the recollection of my former friends and birth. Now, if there were a formula, an equation, a prescription that could be easily dispensed that would provide total memory and instant recall for what we are learning daily, I would suppose that on the day before final exams or for some, maybe the morning of, there would be a lineup that would make the lineup for BYU football tickets appear like a trickle as compared to the mighty Mississippi. When we have spent a great deal of time and effort with our studies, we ought to remember. We want to remember, but oftentimes we don't. I know that the information is in our minds somewhere, like on a a marvelous computer chip, but the retrieval is not always readily available or dependable. I've heard of people who claim to have a photographic memory but not the same-day delivery. You'll better understand this in years to come. Someone has said it's hard to be nostalgic when you can't remember anything. (laughs) This matter of forgetting and remembering seems to play tricks on us as we get older. But I'm not talking about such things as remembering where you put your wallet or the keys to the car or your checkbook or even the information you need to pass your exams. I'm talking about remembering the experiences that keep us ever mindful of the precious gift of life, its meaning and purpose, and all that it offers—our covenants, our family relationships, and our homeward journey. Where is this home? Where is the home I'm referring to? Let's say that as I came here today I saw one of you that I recognized as a former student and said, "'Julie, how are you?' And Julie replied, "'I feel wonderful today. I just bought my ticket to fly home for Christmas.' I would not experience any confusion about where Julie is going, no ambiguity about this sense of joy in knowing she would be with her family. Because I knew that she came from a place halfway around the world, I would also know what the cost was for her to travel home, how she'd had to work and saved and denied herself many luxuries and maybe some necessities. Today, in a different sense, Julie could also say, I feel wonderful. I'm on my way home. So where is this home that is our ultimate journey? This life is the time to work and to save and to prepare and, yes, deny ourselves some things and maybe things that we may at times even consider sacrifice. The gospel principles help give us a vision of that home, tell us what to do, how to save, where to buy the ticket, and the price we must pay. A current temple recommend is symbolic of that ticket. I urge you to remember the essential nature of the journey we are each on and the home that our journey leads each of us to. I testify that if we are devotedly intent on being home for Christmas, we will be guided in every major decision we have to make throughout our lives, and we will enjoy the journey. Oh, let us remember, lest we forget to believe in that eternal home. I am convinced that we do not enter this life without strong promptings, that there was for each of us a significant before, and there will be a significant after. W. H. Auden, the contemporary English poet, expressed this thought as follows. I am sure it is everyone's experience, as it has been mine, that any discovery we make about ourselves or the meaning of life is never like a scientific discovery, a coming upon something entirely new and unsuspected. It is rather the coming to conscious recognition of something which we really knew all the time, but, because we were unwilling or unable to formulate it correctly, we did not hitherto know we knew. Eliza R. Snow expressed the same thought. Yet, oft times a secret something whispered, You are a stranger here, and I felt that I had wandered from a more exalted sphere. Because of the biblical accounts, of Christ's death and resurrection, all those who accept Christian doctrines believe in an afterlife. By comparison, however, very few, if any, understand that we were born first as spirit children, that we had to make choices there, and that this mortal life is a second stage in a grand three-step plan. Through revelations given to prophets, we Latter-day Saints can put into concrete form what W. H. Auden referred to as coming to conscious recognition of something which we knew all the time. We knew that a veil would be drawn over our eyes and our memories. Alma tells us, God gave unto them commandments after having made known unto them the plan of redemption. The lessons we were taught in the preexistence included the plan for our salvation. The promptings or inklings of memory we carry into this life are like a lighthouse in the harbor which beckons us home through stormy seas. Faith in the eternal plan helps fill the cavity of emptiness when we may feel alone or homesick, or maybe seasick. It can help create a bond with those who have gone before us when for a time the veil still separates us. To the young woman who asked me the question, Do you remember me? Perhaps I might have responded with the question, Do you remember you? Do you remember who you are and whose you are? Do you remember him who bought you with a price? President George Q. Cannon gives us this insight. There is no doubt in my mind that we were familiar with the principles of the gospel, and though they had faded from our memories, yet when we heard them again, the recollection was revived. I believe that when we see our Father in heaven, we will know him, and the recollection that we were once with him and that he was our Father will come back to us, and we will fall upon his neck, and he will fall upon us, and we will kiss each other. We will know our mother also. We will know those who have begotten us in the spirit world just as much as we will know each other after we pass from this state of existence into another sphere. While we live in this sphere away from home, our Father has equipped us with a remarkable capacity to experience the beauty of life, the joy of life, and the abundance of it. Alma tells us, Awaken and arouse your faculties. This requires some work and attention on our part. It's not always easy. We may look but not see with an eye of faith. We may listen but not hear the whisperings of the Spirit. We may touch but be past feeling. We may live without sensitivity and thus our arsenal of memory is not filled with experiences that can be used to fight against doubt, fear, discouragement, or despair and even faltering faith. Do we see and hear and feel the hand of God all around us daily? Korihor seems to have been suffering some form of amnesia when he said to Alma, Show me a sign, and that I may be convinced that there is a God. Then Alma pointed out that all things denote that there is a God, yea, even the earth, and all things that are upon the face of it, yea, and its motion, yea, and also all the planets which move in their regular form, do witness that there is a Supreme Creator. Korohor received the sign and was struck dumb. Then he put forth his hand and wrote, I always knew there was a God. He remembered too late. When we are so busily engaged and consumed that our minds are clogged, saturated, or preoccupied, and we are distracted in our thoughts with no time to ponder, we may see the evidence of God's hand, but forget the Creator. In the poem, Renaissance, by Edna St. Vincent Millay, we see the effects of one who looks without seeing, touches without feeling, listens without hearing. The poem begins in a sort of -of matter-of-fact way. All I could see from where I stood was three long mountains in a wood. I turned and looked the other way and saw three islands in a bay. She surveys her surroundings and observes, The sky, I thought, is not so grand. I must could touch it with my hand. With senses deadened, she finds herself in her grave, away from all of God's beautiful creations. There she begins to remember. The majesty of it all begins to return, and she pleads for yet another chance. Oh God, I cried, give me new birth and put me back upon the earth. In time, a heavy rain comes and washes her grave away. It is as if there were an instant recall. She sees things as they really are. She expresses her thoughts in prayer. I know not how such things can be. I only know there came to me a fragrance such as never clings to aught save happy living things. A sound of some joyous elf singing sweet songs to please himself, and through and over everything a sense of glad awakening. A grass, a tiptoe up my ear, whispered to me, I could hear. I felt the rain's cool fingertips brush tenderly across my lips. Laid gently on my sealed side And all at once the heavy night fell from my eyes And I could see A drenched and dripping apple tree A last long line of silver rain A sky grown clear and blue again And as I looked A quickening gust of wind blew up to me And thrust into my face a miracle of orchard breath And with the smell I know not how such things can be I breathed my soul back into me Ah, up from the ground sprang I and hailed the earth with such a cry as is not heard save from a man who's been dead and lives again. About the trees my arms I wound. Like one gone mad, I hugged the ground. I raised my quivering arms on high and laughed and laughed into the sky till at my throat a strangling sob caught fiercely in a great heart throb, sent instant tears into my eyes. Oh, God, I cried, No dark disguise can e'er hereafter hide from me thy radiant identity. Thou canst not move across the grass, but my quick eyes will see thee pass, nor speak however silently, but my hushed voice will answer thee. I know the patch that tells thy way through the cool eve of every day. God, I can push the grass apart and lay my finger on thy heart. The world stands out on either side, no wider than the heart is wide. Above the world is stretched the sky, no higher than the soul is high. The heart can push the sea and land further away on either hand. The soul can split the sky in two and let the face of God shine through. But east and west will pinch the heart that cannot keep them pushed apart. And he whose soul is flat, the sky will cave in on him by and by. It is possible to be dead spiritually while we are still alive physically. Sin will dull the memories of rich spiritual experiences, but with faculties awakened and aroused we can experiment upon the word and feast upon the fruit. In faith a woman reached out, touched the hem of the Savior's garment, and was healed. Do you think she remembered for all time and eternity that touch? Lehi tasted the fruit of the tree of life and declared that it was most sweet, above all that he ever before tasted. Have you tasted that fruit? Samuel heard the voice of the Lord, and the Lord told Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel at which both the ears of everyone that hear it shall tingle. Do your ears tingle when you hear the voice of the Lord through our living prophets? The Prophet Joseph Smith testified, I saw two personages whose brightness and glory defy all description standing above me in the air. Do we see with an eye of faith what the Prophet saw? The crucial words I use here are see with an eye of faith. When the, Lord ca- when the Lord God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life, man became a living soul. Should we be dis- surprised that Satan's strategy would include any and every means by which our senses may be dulled, deadened, and non-functioning so that what is seen at first as alarming in time becomes acceptable? What is heard that at first is offensive becomes commonplace? The addicting habits destroy sensitivity and memory. Will we be weakened by such attacks, or will we remember to draw near unto Him, knowing that He will draw near unto us? Will we remember to seek Him diligently, knowing that when we do we shall surely find Him? Of this we can be sure. If there is ever any wavering in our trust in the Lord, closer examination may reveal that the lack of trust is not in the Lord, but rather in ourselves. When we follow the direction of the great plan of happiness we receive confirmation upon confirmation that Christ's mission was and is exactly what He claimed it to be. It is to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. It is our mortal memory of these confirmations that allows you and me to say, I believe in Christ. I believe as surely as I am standing before you that the Church is true that Joseph Smith was and is a prophet of God, and that Jesus Christ is accomplishing the purpose of the divine plan through our modern-day prophet, President Gordon B. Hinckley, today. It was thirty years, even prior to Christ's birth, that Helaman counseled his sons, wanting them to be prepared for the challenges they would face. And now, remember, remember, my sons, that it is upon the rock of our Redeemer, who is Christ, the Son of God, that ye must build your foundation that when the devil shall send forth his mighty winds, yea, his shafts in the whirlwind, yea, when all his hail shall beat upon you, it shall have no power over you to drag you down to the gulf of misery and endless woe. Because of the rock upon which you are built, which is a sure foundation, a foundation whereon, if men build, they cannot fall. Do you feel the love and concern with which this father spoke to his sons? I don't doubt many of you have heard a similar tone of love and concern in your mother's or your father's voice, maybe before you left home to come to school. Perhaps if you listen, you can recall it even now. At the close of Christ's mortal ministry, knowing what was ahead, Jesus was preparing the apostles for the challenges he knew would come. Now as they were assembled in the upper room, he promised, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. He then further explained. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus took bread and blessed it and brake, and gave it to them. He took the cup, and when he had given thanks, He gave it to them, and they all drank. And he said unto them, As oft as you do this ordinance, you will remember me in this hour that I was with you and drank with you of this cup even the last time in my ministry. Would you have been absent from that upper room if you had been invited to be there with the Savior on that occasion just prior to his crucifixion? Will we ever be absent from those occasions each week when we are invited even as the apostles? to eat and drink and remember the Savior, the Son of God, and keep His commandments so that we can have His Spirit to be with us, to guide us and direct us and comfort us? Think of how we we would feel if those sacred emblems were not available to us because there was no authorized authority to administer them or because of our lack of worthiness to partake of them. Would we be more ready, more reverent, more thoughtful and grateful when the opportunity was restored for us? How would you feel? If you wanted with all of your heart and soul to partake of these emblems and to witness anew that you were willing to take upon you the name of Christ, that you wanted to show that you would always remember Him and that you would keep His commandments so that you might have His Spirit to be with you but because of wrong choices in your life, you were deprived of that blessing for a time, I know someone in this situation. He tells me that each week He hears the words of that prayer with a clarity and a fervor, a commitment that he never before felt. But as the emblems of the bread and the water are offered him, he must pass them on to others who often seem not to feel the full impact of what they are doing, and his heart cries out, Do you realize the blessing that is yours? Maybe we too often underestimate the significance of baptism. That event turns the key and opens the door to eternal life and eternal happiness. With the gift of the Holy Ghost bestowed after our baptism, we are entitled to a special kind of direction and guidance that will create the sustaining memories I have been talking about. Baptism does not guarantee happiness as we tend to define happiness. It does not guarantee that we will not suffer physically or emotionally. It does not assure that all the bills will be paid or that all of our relationships with others will be easy. What baptism does guarantee is that we need never lack for clarity about a major decision. The covenant of baptism and the renewal of that covenant through the ordinances of the sacrament admits us to a very select environment in this mortal world. Whatever your loneliness and isolation, you can know that our Heavenly Father knows you personally and loves you, and that His Spirit can and will attend you. I am deeply impressed by the last 20 years of Moroni's life. He was alone. All of his friends and family had been killed. He had to hide himself from the enemies. He was always on the move, trying to find his own shelter, trying to sustain himself physically, and all the while keeping secure the sacred records his father had entrusted to him. He was a mortal like you and me, but during all those long years of trial and loneliness he was sustained by what we hear each week in the sacramental prayer. He always remembered Christ, he kept his commandments, and had his spirit. Do we with him? Finally, Moroni was able to express his remarkable testimony and warning. He was able to figuratively look each of us in the eye and say, I exhort you to remember. My urgent plea to each of us today is to remember, lest we forget to believe. We may not remember all of the equations, the formulas, the histories, the prescriptions that become part of our formal education, but let us remember and never forget, God loved us, so he sent his Son, Christ Jesus, the Atoning One. To this I testify and pray that we may so live. In the name of Jesus Christ,
0: amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Our theme today is Remembering the Past and the Things of God. We've just heard from Ardith G. Cap. After the break, we'll return with Cecilia M. Peak. For yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Our theme today is Remembering the Past and the Things of God. Next is Cecilia M. Peak, Associate Professor of Classics and Ancient History at BYU at the time of this address, titled Yea, They May Forget, Yet Will I Not Forget Thee.
2: When I received the call and invitation to give a devotional address, I accepted the invitation, got off the phone, and knew immediately what at least some part of what I would be talking about today um, and Then I second guessed this first impression that I had had and considered a whole variety of intellectually provoking things that I might talk about and and realized that those, uh, whatever interesting ideas I might have, they were not the thing that that the Lord was trying to inspire me to speak about. Maggie, who offered the prayer, just brought to me a note that had been left in my office by some students who took a freshman academy class from me a couple of years ago saying that they wished me well in the devotional and thanking me for the class that they had taken, and making reference to a particular story that I had shared with them while I was their freshman academy teacher. And so I apologize to them because I'm going to be sharing that same story today. But in reading their notes, I was already moved to tears, and I said to my husband, this is not a good sign. I'm crying even before (laughs) I've started giving the talk. What I want to talk to you about today is memory, and more specifically the idea of us remembering the Lord and the Lord remembering us. I have been thinking a great deal about memory and remembering. Um, In part, I suppose this is due to the gradual deterioration of my own memory as I get older. Um, I sometimes find myself walking from one end of my house to the other, a very short walk, I might add, and finding that I cannot recall why I came to the new location, although I can recall that I had some very specific purpose in mind when I started out. You students, I have no doubt, think about memory every time you have the prospect of an examination looming over you, hoping and praying that you will be able to remember everything you have studied, and perhaps, with very good luck and divine intervention, even some things you did not. (laughs) On a much more serious note, although I recognize that you may not be able to imagine anything more serious than your looming tests— Memory has become especially important to me as I have in recent months witnessed the quite rapid and serious loss of the powers of recall in someone I love very much and who I assumed would always remember me, my mother. A change that began slowly a few years ago has so accelerated in recent months that on a trip to my parents just over a month ago, my own mother, upon first seeing me, did not recognize me. For the first two days of my visit, I needed to remind her repeatedly that I am her daughter. She did eventually recall me more regularly, but all the details of my life—that I am married, that I have children, that I live and work in Utah—remained completely unfamiliar to her. It was one of the most heartbreaking moments of my life when my mother looked at me and did not know me. In Greek mythology, nemosune was the personification of memory. She was the mother of the nine muses. The muses, in turn, were the goddesses who inspired literature and the arts. They were considered the sources of the knowledge that was contained in poetry, myth, and history, and that was, for many centuries, celebrated and disseminated orally. The types of work inspired by the muses were the artistic, the creative, Memory is, therefore, the grandmother, so to speak, of almost all creative endeavors and a critical component in the relationship between the creator and the created. In part, this was so because of the profound orality of the ancient world, where even when anything was preserved in writing, the average person did not have access to copies of that writing. The memorization of long passages of poetry, drama, and oratory was the presumed activity of educated artists and citizens— All literature—indeed, arguably, all language, knowledge, and skills—were preserved and transmitted orally. For the created work to have any value, it must be remembered. If it is not remembered, it cannot exist. My mother's lack of recognition cut right to the heart of my identity and my security. If she did not know me, who was I? There are many scriptures and ordinances in the Latter-day Saint Corpus that speak of remembering— the verb remember is used fifteen times in the first fourteen verses of Helaman chapter 5, six times in verse 6 alone. Verse 9 of that chapter is just one example. O oh, remember, remember, my sons, the words which King Benjamin spake unto his people. Yea, remember that there is no other way nor means whereby man can be saved only through the atoning blood of Jesus Christ who shall come. Yea, remember that he cometh to redeem the world. The sacrament prayers that we hear repeated every Sunday commit us to always remember him. The injunctions to remember the Lord our God, to remember the covenants we have entered into, to remember and keep God's commandments are frequent and powerful. But what I want to talk with you about today is not the significance of us remembering the Lord, but the consoling reality of his remembering us. Now, it may seem obvious that Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ are aware of us, but as Isaiah notes, His people sometimes believe otherwise. Zion said, The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. Whether as a people or as a person, I believe we all have times in life when we feel forsaken and forgotten. But think of what the Lord says in Isaiah immediately after this citation of Zion's perception. But Zion said, The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. But the Lord says in response to this, Can a woman forget her sucking child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. He has made us his own in the great atoning sacrifice of the garden and on the cross, and he cannot forget us. You are never forgotten or forsaken. Your Father in heaven and your Savior Jesus Christ know and remember you in a very personal and often very direct and directed way. Allow me to share with you an experience I had when I served more years ago than I care to recall as a full-time missionary in Germany— Just after my junior year of high school, I prepared to serve a full-time mission, waited anxiously, as people will, for their mission call. And I had a very strong feeling that I would be called Germany, and I was. And when I found out what mission I was called to, it was the Germany Frankfurt Mission, I was immediately concerned to know whether the city of Cologne was within the boundaries of that mission. And at the time, the city of Cologne was. And I had no particular interest in that city. I just had... A feeling about it. Um, I entered the mission field and served four months in Dusseldorf, which was a city quite close to Cologne, and then received a transfer letter from my mission president that I was going to be transferred to the city of Cologne. And I thought, this is it. You know, this is what I've been waiting for. There's something there for me to do. And so for the next two months, my companion and I worked very diligently in order to find people to teach. And things were going relatively well, but I always had this sense that something critical was missing. We also had some very challenging experiences, so challenging that I reached a point, as I think many missionaries do, where you begin to doubt and wonder you know, why you are doing this. And it's one of the most challenging, but potentially also one of the most rewarding experiences and most transforming experiences of my life. Um, After I had been with my companion for two months, she was transferred away, and I received a new companion, who had, in fact, been my companion during the two months that I spent in the missionary training center. Uh, She came to me, and she brought with her the news that there was a family in the city she had just been serving in, a mother and a son who lived in the ward that she had been in, and there— son and brother respectively lived in Cologne. He was not a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and the mother had urged her to go by and visit this son. And it was actually outside of the area where we typically worked. We sort of divided the city into regions with the two sets of elders that served there as well, and it was rather out of our way, but she had a direct connection to this family, and so we decided that we would make this effort to, to go and visit this family. Most of the travel that we did on our missions was on bike. Um, she was recovering from a broken leg, and so she actually had a car for a, a few weeks. And so this made this rather lengthy, out-of-the-way trip more viable. And so several times we uh, we drove over to their home to try and make contact with them. And every time we failed. We tried it various times a day, and we never found them at home. Uh, and so I announced to my companion, I said, you know we've we've made a genuine effort, but we're not going to. This is taking us out of our area and away from other work that we need to be doing, and we haven't been able to reach them. And she can call her son and say hello if she needs to. Uh, and so I said this to her one evening as we were preparing to go to bed, and the decision was made. The mail came quite early, and so we actually got the mail the next morning before leaving to set about our business for the day, and among the mail that we received was a note from a sister missionary who had been serving in Cologne some months before I arrived there. and And she outlined in this letter that she had met a woman on the streetcar who was interested in having a copy of the Book of Mormon. And she had completely forgotten about this and would we please go by and visit this woman. I don't know the exact population of the city of Cologne, but those of you who have ever been in an older European city know this massive, tangled, warren of old streets that they tend to be. And it's certainly a city of over a million people. And she provided the address of the woman that she wanted us to go visit. And it was on a street called Rohnstraße, Rune Street, which is the same street that this family we were to visit lived on, which struck me as quite an extraordinary coincidence. And I thought, oh, well, maybe we should have kept tracking on that street and we would have met this woman who wanted a copy of the Book of Mormon. And so we went back to that street and went to this woman's apartment and she had in fact moved to Israel and so we were unable to give her a copy of the Book of Mormon. But since we were on the street again, and by now we were back on our bikes, my companion didn't have the car anymore, we thought, well, we'll make another attempt to meet the Moss family, which we did, and they were not home. And we decided we'd try one more time, which we did the following day. We did not reach them. And I said, okay, you know, back to the regular business of our work and our lives. We needn't make that attempt again. And I said this to my companion. The next day, the mail came, and in the mail was a card that in those days, this was in the mid-'80s, there was still an East and a West Germany, and there were missionaries who served in West Berlin, and, We received a referral card from some missionaries in Berlin who had met a gentleman at a street display who they said had expressed some interest in hearing more about the gospel. Would we please go and visit with him? And they provided his address, and his apartment was on Ronstrasse, the same street that we had been to. I mean, it's a big, complex city. You know, the chances of three referrals all being on the same street... Uh, was quite extraordinary. And so, as it happened, my companion and I were doing a split with the state missionaries that night, and so she, since she had the connection to the family, she said, well, why don't I follow up on this referral and make one more attempt to meet the Moss family? And so she did that and went to the home of the gentleman to whom we had been referred by the missionaries in Berlin. He was not happy to see her. Uh, He was not actually interested in having missionaries visit him, and his wife chased uh, her and her temporary companion off in a rather hostile fashion. I think it involved a broom. Um, At any rate, uh, she did make one more attempt to meet this family, and they said, oh, we're so sorry. She explained that we had come by several times, and, I mean, as far as I knew, our task was simply to come by and say, your mom says hi, which I thought, for heaven's sake, the woman can call him, but, you know, clearly I'm a little obtuse and needed some guidance in this regard, so we were continually sent back to the street. Um, And so my companion actually made an appointment with this family to come back at another time and have us visit them. And this went on for weeks, incidentally, and after these many weeks, we finally were prepared to go and visit them. And the evening came that we had scheduled to visit with them, and I didn't want to go. I mean, I really didn't want to go. We had, uh, there was a ward party going on that really sounded fun, (laughs) lots of food, chocolate probably. Um... And so I was sort of hesitant, like, well, they haven't been there. Maybe we could just call and delay. And I thought, oh, this is ridiculous. Try to remember, please, why you're a missionary. And so, so we got on the bikes, drove you know, quite some distance across town, and went to meet this family. Um, the moment we walked in the door and the husband greeted me, I had an overwhelming sensation, such as I never experienced before and have not experienced with anyone since, no offense to my husband in this regard, Um, the feeling that I was encountering someone that I already knew very well and was intimately associated with. We shook hands and we sat and visited with them for about half an hour, and through the entire visit and immediately after leaving, I felt like I had found that critical missing piece that this family, and particularly the husband, was the reason I had come on my mission and to this city. We began then, for a number of weeks, a wonderful experience, but a very irregular, almost, experience of teaching them. Um, We had a certain plan that we tended to follow when we were meeting with people and talking to them about the gospel, and things never went according to plan with this family, but they went far better in many, many ways than we could have imagined. We invited them to church on a number of occasions they hadn't come yet and at the end of every meeting we would invite a member of or we were hoping that that he would at some time particularly offer a prayer and he would always call on one of us to pray my companion or myself or his wife or his son but he never prayed himself we finally invited them to church well we had repeatedly they finally agreed to come to church and we gave them close directions we offered to come and pick them up they said no we'll meet you there and we arrived and They never showed up, which is, for anyone who has served a full-time mission, will know what a devastating disappointment that can be. Uh, We tried to reach them after the church meeting ended and were unable to do so for the next couple of days. We were in the habit of always kind of having a standing appointment with them on Tuesday evenings. And so Tuesday came around, and as it happened, at the advice of our mission president, we sort of transferred our preparation day so that rather than staying home in the morning and doing laundry and writing letters, uh, we had done missionary work most of the day and were doing our laundry and writing letters in the evening in preparation for leaving the next morning for a conference of all the sister missionaries at the mission home in Frankfurt. So we happened to be home uh, slightly after dinner time in the evening, which was rarely the case, and the phone rang. But I should add that The day after we finally made contact with this family, my companion who had been the connection to this family was transferred out of the city, and I got a new companion. And so I had this very new companion who'd only been out in the mission field for a matter of weeks and who didn't speak much German yet. And the phone rang, and it was Klaus Moss, the the husband of this family. And... He wondered why we had not come to their house, and I explained our unusual schedule this week and that we had tried to reach them, and he said, oh, we thought you were mad at us for not coming to church. And I said, well, we were very sorry not to see you there, but no, we weren't angry. And there had been a death in his wife's extended family, and they had been out of town, and we spoke briefly about that. And then there was a pause in the conversation, and he said to me, my maiden name was Mahoney he said sister Mahoney and then in German this was in German he said I know you and he said do you know what I mean and I said yes I do he said the first time you came after you left I turned to my wife and said I know her how can I know her she's reports that she's never been to Germany before she's certainly never been here before And I don't actually recognize her, but I have the overwhelming feeling that I know her. And I said, I do understand. I know you too. So we spoke briefly about the premortal existence and my conviction that he and I may very well have known each other there and made some kind of covenant, commitment, agreement together that we would, one of us, share the gospel with the other someday. And then he said, I'm afraid to read the Book of Mormon. And I said, Why? And he said to me, Because every time I take it into my hand, it burns like a fire. And he said, Can we have a prayer? And I said, Yes, expecting that he would ask me to offer the prayer. And then my companion thought I was a bit strange standing there with my eyes closed holding <laughs> the phone. But he said, I would like to pray. And he said, this is the first time I've prayed. And so he offered a prayer on the phone, asking for the courage to do what was right, whatever that may be. The next morning, my companion and I left for the sisters' conference, the meeting of the sister missionaries. And one of the activities that the sister missionaries participated in on that day was to attend two separate kind of workshops, mini-lessons, And you could choose, there was one that you could choose between a number of things, but every sister missionary was asked to attend in either the first or the second hour of these lessons a presentation that was being given by the wife of Elder Derek Cuthbert, who was in the area presidency at the time. And Sister Cuthbert was giving a presentation on teaching by the Spirit. For the first hour we attended another workshop, and then in the second hour my companion and I attended Sister Cuthbert's presentation on teaching by the Spirit. Sister Cuthbert began her talk, introduced her subject, and then stopped. And she said, I would not be a very good advocate of teaching by the Spirit if I did not now heed the promptings of that Spirit and do what it is telling me to do. So instead of what I have prepared, she said, I want to instead tell you the story of my family's conversion to the gospel. And then she began to share with us the story of her family's conversion in England. And specifically— She told about one particular missionary and their experience with him and his teaching them. I cannot remember any more virtually any of the details of what Sister Cuthbert said, but one of the things she did say was, she said, This will not be true for all of you, but for some of you it is the case that you were called to this mission at this time to teach some particular person or family that you had a covenant with this person or this family, and you must find the person you were called to teach. I felt as if she were speaking directly to me. And then she said this. She said, Elder Cuthbert had a hard time accepting the Book of Mormon. And then she looked directly at me and she said, I did not even need to read it to know that it was true, because every time I took it into my hand— It burned like a fire. Sister Cuthbert cannot have known that what she said was a direct translation of what Klaus had said on the phone the previous evening. She concluded her presentation, and I approached her to thank her, and she knew that For whatever other reason she may have been giving the presentation she was giving, that it was in part for me. And we just said nothing. We just gripped each other's hands and cried. The next day we returned to Cologne, met several more times with the Moss family, and invited them to be baptized. They agreed. At their baptism, Klaus spoke himself. And one of the things he shared was his fear of reading the Book of Mormon and of making a commitment. And he said that he prayed about this fear, and the answer that he received was a powerful reminder of the Savior's atoning sacrifice and the recognition that if he could, in spite of all, give that for us, that surely he could overcome his fears to follow him. The experience that I had as a missionary taught me many things. It confirmed in my mind the rightness of the work that we were doing, the truthfulness of the gospel. But beyond that, what I knew in that moment when Sister Cuthbert looked at me and quoted Klaus, and what I have known absolutely since, is that Heavenly Father knows me personally and will never forget me. He knows you too. The Creator actively remembers His creation. Closely linked to His remembrance of us is the loving attention associated with it. He not only remembers, He cares deeply about where you are, what you are doing, who you are becoming, what you are feeling. He is interested and involved in your life. As Isaiah reminds us, In a comparison as moving and dramatic as that of the mother who may forget her child while the Lord can never forget his own, the Lord says, For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee, neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord that hath mercy on thee. Extending this mercy, doing all he can, to assure our safe return to the Father who knows us and whom we will know when we see him again, is his most important work. I testify to you that you are his most important work, that he knows you by name individually, and that he will never forget you. And I say this in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. amen.
0: You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for an hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was Remembering the Past and the Things of God with thoughts from Ardith G. Cap and Cecilia M. Peak. Find links to the full text, audio, and video of these addresses at byuradio.org findingcenter. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.